This is episode 757 of the Pixelated Sausage Podcast for the week of Friday, November. Why do I keep getting it wrong? Why do I keep going to November? I don't even know if I always keep in my flubs, but man, I really either just still think it's November or I want it to be November. And I don't know why. November wasn't particularly good in 2020. I mean, well, you know, there was a good thing that happened, but there's also, you know, not being able to really celebrate Thanksgiving to its fullest, which is my favorite holiday to just spend time with loved ones and remind loved ones of how much I love them. But uh, yeah, it is not November. It is January and it is the 29th of 2021. And I am, of course, your host with the most nonsense and proneness to rambling and going on dumbass tangents who you can call Mark Krishnez. Mark Krishnez, without a little chuckle in there. I need you to know what my name is. It is Mark Krishnez. That's right. That's right. If I was to say it normally, it'd be, hello. <laughs> That's not. My, my name is Mark Kushnez. Like I said, it's actually like Kushnez. Kush. Like the, those balls that Rosie O'Donnell flung around. I think they were Kush balls. But I, I find that even though Kush is pretty easy to understand, Kush just was easier. And yeah. Either way, last names, Kushnez or Kushnez, however you want to pronounce it. Just don't look at it and try to pronounce it. I don't even need to really explain this, but uh, I've gone on enough about nothing already this episode, so we know it's going to be a good one, but uh, I do have a, a fair amount of stuff to talk about. The main stuff, the new stuff, is Gods Will Fall, sort of the necromancer, Olia, which I hope I'm pronouncing correctly, and Summer and Mara, Tohu, and Mahjong Adventure DX and also WandaVision. I watched the first episode of WandaVision and I should just get this out of the way. I fucking hated the first episode of WandaVision. I thought it was terrible. I was really excited about this show, even though I don't actually give a shit about Wanda or Vision, at least as someone who hasn't read many of the Marvel comics. Like for me, I am somebody who's very much so an MCU cinematic universe viewer i don't know why i said that i was like mcu that's that's the marvel universe i should specify i mean the cinematic universe forgetting that the c was in there that uh, specifies that it is the cinematic universe but that is my history with marvel outside of the x-men animated series and uh what is it Captain America comic books. That's what that's what I was looking for. I was trying to think if there's any other TV show, but I, I didn't watch the Spider-Man show. I watched the movies, of course, that aren't part of the MCU, but my history with both DC and Marvel is basically the movies and, and potential TV shows like the Batman, the animated series. You know, for comics, I read The Ninja Turtles and Captain America. Which is, you know, why Captain America is such a special character for me and why The First Avenger is my favorite movie of the MCU and one of my favorite comic book movies of all time. But to go to WandaVision, I get what they're trying to do. I thought it would be really interesting. And I thought it would be fun and, and so much more than what it is. And, and what it is is just shit. I think they are trying too hard to be an homage, to try and be something that you would look at now and be like, I could, I could see that being there in, in that day and age. Because uh, from what I've gathered, each episode will be from a different decade. It will take on the form of a sitcom of a different decade. So you have like the Dick Van Dyke show of the 50s with the first episode. And I guess the... Second episode follows a Bewitched formula, and then the third one, a Brady Bunch formula. And that's a really cool idea to try and tackle. 
but it only works if the writing is good. And the writing is shit. I don't think it's writing that feels at home in a show like that. I, I've watched those shows. I've enjoyed shows from that time. And I still enjoy them today because they're, they're good. They're well-written. They're well-acted. Like, they're fun shows. They have their their character and their dated aspects. And, of course, the laugh track is something that I think just hasn't aged well. You know, Once we moved past having the laugh track, it's a little bit jarring. But WandaVision, at least in the first episode, which I hated enough to not bother with any more episodes. I just fucking could not stand watching any second of it. And I regularly thought I should just turn this off. But I kept watching because I'm like, whatever, it's 22 minutes or like the usual sitcom length. And I might as well just get through this one episode to see if maybe there's some turn or it gets interesting at the very end. But my best comparison is that it feels like a video game that is trying to be funny by parodying bad video games, but in itself is still a bad video game. So think Matt Hazard, the first one, because I think Matt Hazard, beyond the whatever, the Xbox Live Arcade one was actually kind of decent and competent, but Matt Hazard, the first one, which was, I don't think, it wasn't just called Matt Hazard, it was called like Ender the Hazard, I don't know. But, that game made fun of a lot of shitty things about video games and then whether intentional or not had those same shitty things like it felt horrible as a shooter it wasn't fun like like you can't it's not the best example because you know they're they're not trying to parody old sitcoms they're they're trying to replicate that feeling, that vibe. And I know that a lot of people think they just pull it off perfectly and that the humor stands on it. Like, I really, really didn't enjoy a single second of it. And it was a huge bummer because I, I do like the premise a lot, but I just could not give any shits about what was going on. And in no way did it get me excited to watch more. And I will not be watching more because there's so many things that I still haven't watched. I, I just was looking at my... Amazon watch list and realized that I still haven't watched, I forget what it was called, but I think my friend John referred to it as The Boys But With Nazis. And it's that show with Logan Lerman and Al Pacino and some other people that uh, I, I, I really wanted to watch it and I just never got around to it. Why would I not watch that instead of WandaVision? Like, there's there's nothing for me in WandaVision outside of like what I can get when it's all said and done out of like Wikipedia or whatever. Just give me the, the beat points that I need to know for any future movies, series. So that is, that was a bit of a bummer. But uh, yeah, so going back in reverse, uh, not yet getting to the new stuff I've been playing, I feel like I still am obligated, even though it's old news at this point, it's a week old by the time you're listening to this, or, or even older, if you're listening to this a little later, the Xbox Live news that happened last Friday, where Microsoft, early in the morning, decided, for whatever dumb reason, to essentially double the price of Xbox Live Gold. They didn't, one for one, double it, because the way they got to doubling was not saying that a year of Xbox Live Gold costs $120, but they removed the option to get a yearly subscription. So that was gone. And instead, you had the month and three-month passes increasing by like a dollar a piece. So not the biggest increase there. And then you had a six-month sub, which cost $60. And that, that was it, which used to be the, the price of the 12-month sub. So in, you know, whatever way you want to get around to it, a year of Xbox Live Gold jumped from $60, which no one, at least most people, did not pay that much. You would pay like $40 or whatever when it was on sale. So it jumped. 
if you're if you're just judging it based off MSRP, it jumped from sixty to one hundred and twenty, doubled in price. If you're basing it off what most people pay for it, it tripled in price. If you think about it that way, but of course, you know, these six month soaps would also go on sale for whatever amount, whether that be forty bucks or, or whatnot. But yeah, they they put out a little press release, a post on Xbox Wire or wherever it was, talking about how they looked at what Xbox Live is offering and blah, blah, blah. They just gave us a bunch of bullshit and said, you know, we we think that the, the value is here and so we are going to charge you more and fuck you. <laughs> and then they also tried to soften the blow in the weirdest way possible because it, this didn't make any sense to me. If you already had a gold subscription, if you already had it and you had the recurring billing and all that jazz, you were locked in for that price. So if you have a recurring sub at $60, you're locked in. You're good to go. You don't have to worry about this increase in price. And to me, yeah, that's nice for your current customers, I guess. But what it doesn't do is incentivize potential new customers to join your platform. What you should be doing, like what Game Pass should be doing and and anything that they're doing, like creating games, you know, buying all these studios to make exclusive games and whatnot, is to try and get as many new customers as possible, to give reasons for people who are maybe on the fence to say, you know what, I'm going to give Xbox a chance or I want to play Xbox. There are games on there that I want to play. And just to get this out of the way, yeah, a lot of their stuff, and maybe most of it, will also be available on PC. I don't fucking buy that argument. I I know so many people who have capable PCs or just, you know, have like an iPad or don't have a super powerful PC and they don't give a shit about PC gaming. You know, the the selling point or, or part of the selling point of a console is that ease of use of being able to just plug it in, put it in a game, download a game, whatever, and just play it. You don't have to worry about settings. Like, okay, do I put this setting on high? Do I put the shadows on medium? Draw distance? How, how, where do I put that? Uh, uh, how, what, what setting should I use for the TAA? And like all that bullshit. You don't have to worry about that with console gaming. And I know PC gamers would be like, oh, it's so fucking simple. You don't have to worry about it. And a lot of these games have whatever systems in there that they can auto figure out what would be the best uh, setup for your system. I don't fucking, I don't care. You also have drivers with a fucking... <laughs> I, no. There's just a nice simplicity to consoles and also being able to just hook it up to your TV, not play on a computer. I know you can hook up a computer to your TV. Still don't care. There's so many people who just like that simplicity and that shouldn't be discounted. I don't think that PC gamers take away a lot from console gamers. So I, I don't think that having a game that is exclusive to both your console and PC means that it, it doesn't matter because it's also available on PC. You know, I, I just, I don't, I don't buy that. But yeah, it, it was just a really, really stupid thing for them to do to increase the price so much and to justify it in no way. They weren't adding anything else. If, if anything... PlayStation, for the PlayStation 5 specifically, they made PlayStation Plus a better service than Xbox, uh, Xbox Live Gold, that is, because they created that whatever, that collection of 18 or 20 games, most of them, or like a third of, not a third, but like two-thirds of them, first party, and like big games like God of War and I don't maybe Spider-Man 2, like, you know, most of the big ones that weren't like within the the last year or so. I think Days Gone may have even been on there. So they made PlayStation Plus better by not only giving you these pre-games every month, but by having this collection of highly acclaimed first-party games that, yeah, probably a lot of people have played, but if you are jumping into one of the new consoles, you're like, I can play some of the greatest games of the last generation who many say are some of the greatest games of all time just by having this this service and I'll be getting free games every month on top of that like who why wouldn't I do that like 
it's a great deal right there. And Microsoft had nothing to go. They're just like, fuck you, it's, it's twice as much now. And it's stupid. And, and any, whether or not this is true, I like, it, it's hard for me to wrap my head around this mindset if they, like, the thing is, if they were trying to push people with this move to join Game Pass, specifically Game Pass Ultimate, like, you could get Game Pass just for console for the same exact price now. It, it, they'd both equate to $120 a month, but you wouldn't get gold with just Game Pass for console. So the equivalent would be, would more be getting people to switch over to Game Pass Ultimate, which is like 180 bucks a year. And that made the value of Xbox Live Gold drop even more because you look at that at $60 more and what you get is Game Pass for console, Game Pass for PC, xCloud, and Xbox Live Gold for $60 more than just Xbox Live Gold. It's a fucking no-brainer. But the thing is, you don't get people to join Game Pass Ultimate or Game Pass whatever by bullying them into joining it. You're not like, well... You might as well just get this because this other thing that you need really is a fucking bullshit deal. So just pay a little bit more and get this really great thing. You should be selling Game Pass on just how good the service is. It was really stupid. But of course, over the course of Friday, which is just this roller coaster, it wasn't much of a roller coaster. It was basically just... I guess it was a roller coaster, but just that first big drop of they they put out their tweet, their post saying they're doing this, and it was being tweeted out by a bunch of people, and they're just slowly going up, you know, getting ready for that big drop, and everyone was just giving them shit, and they were getting so much pushback because it was such a fucking terrible decision, in large part too because free to play games are locked behind. Xbox Live Gold, which isn't the case on PlayStation or Nintendo. And over, like, whatever, 14 hours, they were just getting pummeled everywhere. And I, I saw some replies from Xbox support on Twitter, I think, talking like, try to justify it or whatever. And eventually, they reversed everything and also said that over the next few months or so, they were going to work on removing the requirement of gold for free-to-play games. So in the end, you know, things kind of worked out. But the problem is, sure, the general consumer, the normies, won't have probably even noticed this or, or known that any of this shit happened. But the hardcore has a short memory, you could say. But I think even though they did turn things around and make, I don't even want to say they make, they made good. They just fucking made up for their horrible, horrible decision making that I still can't, I don't understand how they got to that point, how they ever thought they weren't going to get the kind of pushback they got. But I think this sour taste is going to linger in the mouths of the hardcore for a while. And any Xbox fan, like I love Xbox. It is by far my favorite platform ever since the 360 I've been an Xbox first player. I play all third-party games on there that, that are available. I love the controller. I love the UI. I, I love my Xbox One X, or I loved it, and I love my Series X. I'm a big fan of Xbox. I love achievements. I love so much about Xbox. But no sensical person, and I, I saw plenty of people who were trying to justify, like, no sensible person could justify their reasoning or like them doing this it was so fucking unbelievably stupid and the most concerning thing about it for me is that if they could do something this fucking dumb what else are they capable of like it it was such a bad decision and such a stupid thing that it you know the fact that they went back on it saved a lot a lot. Like I, I still think, like I said, that there's going to be somewhat of a lingering negativity for a little while. It's not going to last long. I don't think it's going to have a huge impact or anything. But if they didn't change face and and 
cancel this plan. This one bad, horrible, ridiculous, insane decision would have reversed all the years of goodwill they've been building ever since Phil Spencer came into place by adding stuff like backward compatibility, acquiring all these studios, you know, trying to do, you know, adding Game Pass, trying to make Xbox a better experience and, and getting more games on it and all this stuff. Like all the good stuff they've been doing over the years would have been fucking dead, thrown out the window with this one fucking stupid ass thing. Because there's no way in hell if Xbox Live Gold was $120 a year, was required for online games, that I would recommend Xbox to anyone. I would still play on it and love my time with it because I'm not affected by it, especially since I have like three years of Game Pass Ultimate in the bank, you know, utilizing the $1 thing. But man, it was a, it was a horrible fucking decision. And I just, I'm glad they reversed it, but I still, it is so hard for me to understand how they got there. And I want to be a fly in the wall when they pushed out that story, what they were thinking. Like, <laughs> I just imagine them being like the, you know, the Apollo team and just being like, oh, we did it. We landed on the moon and everyone's cheering. And then they're like, oh shit. The, the, the astronauts are all dead. <laughs> like, that's a horrible analogy. But just fucking, god damn it, it was, it was horrible. It was horrible, horrible, horrible. But you know what's not horrible, though it's still a little horrible in one way, is Hitman 3. I've, I've been playing more of it, but none of the new levels. I still can't bring myself to replay the new levels because at this point, I, I don't feel confident in my progress ever returning for the two levels that I lost it on Dartmoor and Dubai, which is really frustrating. And it means that it's going to be probably pretty tough to get mastery in those areas, max mastery, unless they start adding challenge. Like, I'm just curious what's going to happen because it's not an isolated problem. I, I've, I've read many other people who have experienced the same thing, which I'm assuming is because during the transfer process I didn't get the notification that it it was complete when I started playing the new levels instead I just noticed that my level and all that did carry over so I was like oh everything must be good right I didn't know they were they were going to actually give me like a menu prompt that said hey the transfer is over and you're all good I just figured when I noticed that because I waited after setting up the process. They're like, hey, this could take some time. When I noticed after like 10, 15 minutes that my level had carried over, I was like, okay, this is this should all be good, right? And, I'll, and of course, I, I later after playing a few levels realized that I thought maybe they're just locking me out initially, but that not any of my weapons or items or suits were there. But I was like, okay, this is probably just still in process, but like, my actual level and mastery and all that stuff is here and should be fine. But that wasn't the case. But uh, I have been playing more of it and just going back to old levels. And I, I still, I, I love Hitman so much. It is such a fun game. I, I wish, I, I hope more people get into it with three. I, I think, you know, getting into it with this and potentially, you know, bringing in levels from earlier versions, if you want, is the great is a great way to do it. But yeah, and I also say I I don't understand the pricing for the DLC for adding the maps if you didn't already own the games. Like the way they're priced, you might as well just buy yourself the complete edition of Hitman Two and like the game of the year edition of Hitman One, and then just carry over your levels that way so that you then own the other two games in addition to hitman 3 because for all the levels of hitman 2 if you just want to bring the levels over and not actually own the game proper it still costs you a hundred dollars which is fucking insane i don't think it's that way on pc but on console at least it's that for hitman 1 it's 30 bucks which is much more reasonable to get the all the levels in the game of the year edition content 
like hundred dollars. Get the get the fuck out of here. You're not actually getting the game with it. You're just getting the levels. You can't go back and play Hitman Two with those, like, unless you could. But yeah, I I do really enjoy it, and it's hard really to talk about it just because I haven't been playing any of the new levels because there's, you know. When I went through it the first time, I spent maybe like an hour in every level because I was just going around exploring and getting a feel for them. And to to have that feel like wasted time to an extent, you know, I, I did learn stuff about the environment. Like I have what I learned, the XP I learned within myself there, <laughs> but... To not have the XP in the game is, it's frustrating because it has the potential of making me get complete mastery in those two levels turn into a ridiculous grind where I then have to, after I've completed all the challenges and mission stories, just get like silent assassin after silent assassin after silent assassin to slowly get what little XP you get from that for mastery. And that's what's frustrating. I don't care that I lost XP for my general level. And I don't care that I lost my mastery. I care that I lost my mastery and these ways of getting XP towards mastery are still unlocked. They're shown as completed, but the XP that was gained is just gone. And like, what do I do then? Which is uh, frustrating because you get a lot of XP for completed things. And like, you need 6,000 XP per mastery level. And you get 8,000 right off the bat for killing the targets, uh, uh, 4,000 apiece. And they're, they're two per level in, in these cases. Or no, the, the, the manor, Dartmoor, just has the one target. But yeah, that has yet to be resolved. I also couldn't get, or yeah, I emailed them. They didn't reply to me about, changing my email because you can't change your email address in your IOI account anywhere. It just won't allow you to do it. You can change your name. You can change your birthday. You can change everything. You can't change your email address, which is just kind of weird. So I emailed them about it. Got nothing because I'm, I'm sure that is a very low priority type of inquiry. And so I instead created a new account, deleted my old one and unattached my gamer tag from that one and then create a new one with the email I wanted to use. <laughs> and I made that a more complicated process of me. I've re-downloaded Hitman 1 and 2 so many fucking times for the dumbest fucking... Like, okay, the first times were for justifiable reasons. It was for me figuring out how to carry over my levels. But for this time, why I did it is because when I created my new account, it had my the the games that were attached to my account you know hitman one two and three it had them in the order hitman three then and i needed to download the games to attach them to my account so that i would log in with my gamer tag and all that and then hitman one and then hitman two and i was like no no i can't do this and it had the xbox series x version of Hitman 3 and the Xbox One version because there are only Xbox One versions of Hitman 1 and 2. So I... Because this is a great picture in my head and how fucking insane I am. So I detached my account from the my new IOI account again and was going to redo it. But first, I had to make sure I had everything set up. So I had... Hitman 1 and 2 downloaded on my Series X. Then on the old Xbox One X, I downloaded Hitman 3, the Xbox One version, so that I could have every game attached to my account, and it would be in order Hitman 1, Xbox One version, Hitman 2, Xbox One version, and Hitman 3, Xbox One version. I didn't want Hitman 3 to come up as Xbox Series X slash S version because I just wanted that unification and after I did that, I deleted Hitman 3 from the, or I stopped installing it from the Xbox One X because I, I just waited for it to be ready to start and deleted Hitman 1 and 2 from my Series X for hopefully 
the last time. I I just hope there's no other thing that happens where I'm like, well, I'm going to have to download Hitman 1 and 2 again for fucking whatever reason. Because it's not like just the, the main game. I'm like, I downloaded all the DLC and it's fucking insane. I feel like my Series X is probably like, what is wrong with you? What is wrong with you, buddy? Stop it. I'm sick of all these fucking Hitman games on me. But uh, yeah, that has been my journey with Hitman 3. Been playing a bunch of old levels. And I think I'm going to go through and mastery them. And I, I also, I probably can uh, mess around with the, the DLC for Hitman 2. Because I never got around to playing any of that. When I, when I missed an elusive target, it made me so bummed out that I just fucking fell off the game completely. Which uh, sucks. I do hope, you know, you know it, it wouldn't hurt the people who earn them by being really devoted to the game. But if down the line... For whatever, 20, 30 bucks. I don't care. Like I, I have a fair amount of them, but if I, I could buy a pack, if they, if they released a pack that included all the DLC bonus suits, items, etc., from past elusive target challenges and and all that kind of stuff, that would be amazing. I would love that so much because I just want. I want my Hitman 3 to not only be the complete experience in terms of levels and all that, but I want it to be the complete experience in terms of all the potential items and suits that I could bring in the game. Because like I have the Santa suit, I have the clown suit, I have the ninja suit, you know, I have a fair amount of whatever regular variations of suits, like the, the Absolution suit, the torn up suit i figure what that is terminus i believe like i have a lot of suits but i know i'm missing some because there were things that were just given away with the the elusive targets and other stuff and i just i would love to be able to have all those and i think i think it's just easy money for them and i don't think it would piss off the audience because you know the people who earn those don't have to spend whatever 30 dollars like i'm i'm not even joking about like 30 dollars is something that I think a lot of people are like, fucking $30 for some suits and some items. And like, they're more fun to be had with the suits, but like a lot of the items are just like, here's lockpick Mach 2, Mach 3, where it just has like a different skin or it's like slightly different, but they all have the same functionality. Uh, here's a different suitcase. But like the completionist in me and the fan of Hitman in me just wants that whole complete package i want i want it all you know i I bought the deluxe edition uh because i wanted to support them and i just want everything give me everything so just just give me everything jesus christ this is this is gonna be a long episode because i still haven't even gotten to the new stuff i've been playing i am sorry everyone for for this nonsense but uh that's what you pay for i mean you don't pay for anything unless you're one of the few patreon supporters in which case i love you thank you so much I, I, I genuinely, genuinely, I genuinely appreciate you so, so very, very much. Uh, I, I can't stress that enough. But um, I jumped back into Dirt 5 for a little bit because I, I had to delete something to make room for the fucking giant Hitman and Hitman 2, especially Hitman 2, which is like I needed to, to make up like 200 gigabytes of space. And I was like, okay, I, I could delete NBA 2K, which I'm still considering doing that because I'm just like, there's so many things I want to play, little games, big games, things for this project, that project, and Hitman as well. Like I want to I wanna just regularly play Hitman and, and make it my jam again. And that, that means I can't jam in NBA 2K21, literally and figuratively. Like, it just doesn't make sense. But, uh, and I don't like the fact that it's such a fucking giant game. 100 gigabytes for basketball, get out of my face. Why? Because they're like two or three different types of commentary. I don't want to listen to any of them. Can I just delete all that? Because I, I play the game usually turned down anyway. But I went back and played some Dirt 5, and I don't know if I'm just remembering it wrong or what, but when I was playing it, it it looked significantly worse than I remember. I was like, man, this is this is kind of ugly. And I'm playing on a Series X, you know, playing in 1080p, but, you know, it's image quality mode or whatever. But I'm 
playing. I'm like, huh, this uh, doesn't look that great. I feel like these textures and everything, it's kind of uh, muddy-ish. And then I, like, I had fun playing it to an extent, but after I played a little bit, I'm like, I can delete this. And then I immediately jumped into Onrush, and I'm like, oh, man, <laughs> I don't know what voice I'm doing. But, oh, my God, Onrush is just so much fun. It never ceases to be fun. I know there are arguments as to whether or not it is a racing game, but I think it is 100% a racing game. It is just a different type of racing game. It is a team racing game. The objective is still to come in first place, but you're not trying to reach the end. You're not like... It's not a sprint race where you're going from one point to another point or where you're doing laps. You have a specific goal that you need to achieve with your team. You know, you wouldn't say that tennis is a sports game, but basketball isn't because there are multiple players on each team in basketball. Like, that's not how it works. They're both sports games. It's just different types of sports. And I, I think Onrush is very much a racing game. It's just a different type of racing game. But I think it's it's... It's, it's a hard sell because people who do like the more traditional racing game will potentially not like it. And then I think people who are not prone to playing racing games would have a blast with it. Uh, it is so accessible. You always feel like you're contributing, you know, because, because you're not trying to be in the front. You don't want to, you don't even want to be in the lead of the pack because then you're not doing anything. You can't run into other cars or, or, do anything you're just yeah you know, it doesn't help really in any way to be in the front in the very very front but it is a beautiful game and it's so much fun and every time i revisit it i love it more and more and what when i was playing it this last time i i got to thinking one it is 100 my favorite game or my favorite racing game of last generation and then two i already knew it was my favorite or one of my favorite games of all time, racing games of all time, I keep forgetting the racing part, it might be my favorite racing game of all time. I just, I love it so much. I think it is so much fun. I think it looks great. I love all the various cars and their abilities and the way they can work together. I think it is such an accessible game. And maybe the only negative is that I I, I wish there was more, I, I wish it was successful. Successful enough to warrant putting in a bunch of stuff because the probably only limiting thing about it is that I don't know how many are in there, but maybe there are a limited number of tracks and, and that would be the one negative. Like I, I just wish there were so many more tracks in it. I just wish there were, there was an endless supply of tracks, but Onrush is fantastic and dirt five is ugly, but dirt five is okay. It's just, it doesn't, Scream next gen, which is not current gen. But uh, finally getting to what I've been playing that is new, starting with God's Will Fall. So God's Will Fall is a Diablo-like with an interesting structure. So you control a group of eight characters who get shipwrecked on this island, whatever, and you are... When you're in this kind of overworld, you're exploring it all as a group. The group moves all together. So when you're like controlling one character, you're essentially controlling everyone. And then you come across various dungeons. And when you get to those, you can only send in one of your characters. And they all have their various strengths and weaknesses. And then when you're in an actual dungeon, that's when it feels like Diablo. You have your regular attack, your heavy attack a dodge and, and whatever special abilities that particular character has. If you end up dying, quote unquote dying uh, during a dungeon crawl, that character will be locked within that dungeon. And that doesn't mean they're gone for good. It's not permadeath, but they are locked inside that dungeon until you send in another character, a uh, party member from your group to essentially rescue them. And that is where the story starts to get interesting because you, you find out the first time this happens that the characters all have these relations with one another. So when I lost a character in one level, I saw one of the other characters chime in and talk about how 
that character who I lost meant a lot to them, that they saved their life however many years ago. And that gave them a boost, that, that gave them a buff to, to one of their abilities and made them stronger so that it would incentivize me to use them to try and rescue them. But I, as much as, and I, I think that's cool and all, like I really like that idea and that system and, and the way these characters are related to one another in those ways. I, I think that all works well and is something that makes me want to continue playing. But what doesn't make me want to continue playing is the gameplay. For the most part, it feels pretty good. But what is just inconsistent enough to frustrate is the parrying system. And parrying is a pretty significant part of the game. And the way parrying works is that to parry an enemy, you will see an enemy attack and then there will be like, uh, when they're, they're starting their attack, there'll be like a little glint from their sword or whatever weapon they're using. It'll, it'll sparkle. And that'll tell you, that'll inform you that it's time to parry. And you parry by dashing into them. The problem is, at least when I was playing it on my Xbox, using the controller and everything, there were far too many cases where I thought I was pushing the analog stick in the direction of the enemy when I, when I was getting ready to parry, but I would go just to the left of them or just to the right of them, and I would miss the parry, and they would still hit me with their attack. And that was really frustrating, especially since you know these characters have... I don't know, 10 hit points or so. The enemies have, they range, but like the inconsistency of the parrying system is enough to make combat frustrating to the point of me not wanting to play it, which sucks because I, I like a lot about it, but it, you know, that doesn't matter when the actual act of playing it isn't, isn't doing that much for me. Uh, so that that was a bit of a bummer. I may go back to it because like there are moments when everything's clicking and the parent system seems to be working as intended and then it feels really good. But then I'll miss a parry and then I'll miss another one and I'm just like, fuck, fuck off. This is, this is dumb. It, 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 it's a game that is so easy to get on my bad side with uh, if, if the pairing ends up screwing me over in this case or that case, you know, especially if it's like a really, really close fight and it's the matter of life or death, then it's really, really annoying. Then there's sort of the Necromancer, which is another game that conceptually I think is very cool. I'm very much so into. And uh, before I get to why I don't like it, it is essentially an action adventure game top-down action adventure game in the same vein as stuff like zelda games the classic ones a link to the past and all that and a more contemporary game that it reminded me of a lot is moonlighter you know without all the shop stuff and all that but the actual dungeon calling bits because it's all room based and you're going from room to room and it's got its roguelike elements and the the shtick of it the gimmick you are like this I don't know if you're a prince or whatever, or and if the girl with you is a princess, but this girl is in, I don't think she's in a coma. She's dead, I think. And you are trying to bring her back to life. You come across this sort of the necromancer, and that gives you the ability to raise fallen foes from the dead and have them fight for you. This doesn't work on her, so you're going to have to find either a different sword or a way to power up that sword as part of the story. But... The main shtick of the gameplay is that you can take enemies you've killed and then revive them with your sword and then they can fight alongside you and you can have up to three at any time. The, the, they will take up slots for other weapons if you, you wanted to use weapons. So like you'll have to make the decision as to whether or not if you have a bow and arrow, do you want to keep the bow and arrow or do you want to have this or that monster in that slot? And you might say to yourself, well, this monster is capable of attacking enemies from a distance, just like I would be able to with a bow and arrow. So I'll just have this monster instead, and they could they can attack them from a distance while I attack them close up. The problem is, it just doesn't feel good at all. I hated the combat. It felt 
slow and sluggish. And I, I would need to play more to know if this is really what's going on. But the way it felt for me and why it was just no fun to play is that it felt like there was a delay after every action. It, 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 it's not that the game wasn't responsive, that I would tell my character to attack and then it would take them a second or whatever to actually perform the action, but that after every attack or action in general, it seemed like there was this delay as to when I could perform another action and then I would just be there vulnerable and so often it would take damage from an enemy because I was unable to roll out of the way or do anything. It's just like, okay, after every action or whatever, I have to remember that I'm going to be vulnerable for a, a short period of time, but long enough that I could, you know, take some serious damage or enough damage that it's just like, really? Really? So that just killed the entire experience for me. Like, I like the idea of it. It just wasn't fun at all to play. And yeah, like there, there, there are so many games out there that are of this same ilk, you know, minus the Necromancer bits they all feel a lot better. Like I had my issues with Moonlighter, but that feels significantly better than sort of the Necromancer. But I'll, I'll give it more time because I do like the idea of it. And if that changes for me, like maybe it's just a me thing. I don't know. Uh, then it could be a, a good time. Then Olia, which I hope I'm pronouncing right. It's O-L-I-J-A. And I'm not sure like, the the dialogue in the game is in this deep, gravelly, somewhat quiet, muffled voice. And I couldn't... Every time they started talking, and when I saw Olia come up on screen in the subtitles, because it's a different language, I would just like pause everything. Not that anything else was playing, but I would just like try and focus and put my ear up against the the speaker of my TV. I'd, I'd raise the volume. I'm like, what do you say? What do you say? Is it Olia? Is it Olia? Come on. I want to know if it's Olia. And I could never actually hear him saying it. I just think I heard it during like the opening cutscene. I'm like, oh, so it's Olia. And yeah. Name aside, I fucking love this game. It is so much fun thanks to incredible comment. I, I talked about the comment in the last two games being a problem. That is not the problem in Olia. It is... I, I like to just rewind a little bit though. Olia is an action adventure game with 2D side scrolling visuals in the in the vein of like Another World and the original Prince of Persia. So it's very simplistic, but at the same time it's it's striking, it's distinct, it's unique, it looks really good and has fantastic animation which goes a long way in making the combat as satisfying as it is and as easy to grasp what's happening in combat. And you, again, I think you're like shipwrecked somewhere or whatever, and you're just trying to figure out what's going on. You have this little like home base area that you can build up to some small extent. Like there's a, a woman you rescue and then you can start increasing your health. There's a place where you can buy hats that will give you abilities, which are nice. And a dude that you can send off to collect resources by paying up some currency. But in the world when you're exploring, why it just feels so good and it's so much fun to go around in these various worlds, you know, as, as few of them as there are and as short as the game is, what makes it so much fun to play is that the combat is so responsive and so, like, you feel so in control and you feel like a badass. Uh, you could you could say that the the regular enemies are kind of pushovers and easy to take out, which is fine. But then when you get to boss fights, they pose a bit more of a challenge, but are still somewhat easy. And so the way combat works is that initially you have nothing; you can just punch with your fists, and and, and that's it. But during the first area you explore, you'll f you'll first find a sword, which you can you know, used to attack. It's one of your secondary weapons. You'll also eventually find a crossbow and you could switch between those on the fly. But then your main weapon is a harpoon. And why the harpoon is so 
satisfying and 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 that is where the the comment really starts to click and you just feel like fucking awesome is that it is like a a special harpoon that is part of like some lore whatever it's like there's a lot of mystery behind there not mystery there's just like mythology around it and whatnot where you throw like you can throw the harpoon at an enemy or an object in the world there are also these like alien looking creatures that you can throw to that are basically there for traversal purposes when you throw the harpoon at something that is able to have it be thrown at, like you can't just throw it at a wall or whatever it has to be an object some kind of piece of geometry or or, or person character enemy whatever in the world it will attach to them and then you can dash teleport to them and then start hacking away at them with either the harpoon again because you can do close combat with it or with your sword and that just makes the combat so fucking satisfying because you're just dashing around all over the place teleporting between enemies flying all over the screen and it can look hectic like maybe if you're watching someone play you'd be like what is going on but when you're actually playing the game when you're in control you feel in control you never feel like you don't know what's going on you always know exactly what's going on and you're always in control and it is so responsive it feels just so good it's so satisfying and yeah you just you feel like a badass and and the only the only thing i'd say is that i i want more of it like i would love to see another game that is i don't even care if it's in this world but just like I want another game with this combat. Like, give me Olia 2. Give me something that has this feel. Because it just, it feels fantastic. I, I I love it a lot. I can't recommend it highly enough. I think it's $15. You know, it, you see, you can tell I really like the game because I went out of my way to check out how much it costs so that I could tell you. And be like, oh, I want people to buy this. Like, it's just, it's super, super fun. I, I just... I cannot recommend it highly enough. Then Summer and Mara is an adventure farming game. I think that's how they put it. You know, in the same vein of stuff like Stardew Valley or Harvest Moon, Story of the Seasons, Rune Factory, what have you. And the problem is it's just boring and tedious in a way those games can be, but without any of the reward those games offer. It just is the worst of what those games offer in my little time I've put into it. It looks really bad. It looks like a 720p game, like it's super jaggy, the muddy visuals, like it, it, like the aesthetic, the art style is nice and colorful and cute and all that, but the picture quality is not, it's not good. And I'm playing on the Series X, and there's no excuse. I feel like I'm playing the portable Switch version on my TV, or like a, a mobile version for like phones from seven years ago. I don't know. It it just does not look that great. And yeah, like the the farming and all that. It's just I don't want to say it feels half baked. Because there's, there's plenty going on in there. You, you'll be able to tra- travel to other islands later in the game. And you'll interact with various creatures and whatnot. And, and characters. But it's just really boring. And, and doesn't do a good job of making me want to stay in this world. And explore it. And, and see what there is to to find. So yeah. I like... That was a, a pretty big bummer because I'm always looking for stuff like that to 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 latch on to because I find those games can be really pleasant and peaceful and delightful. Like I, I'm I'm very excited for whenever Ooblets hits 1.0 because I'm just like, well, achievements aren't supported yet, so I might as well just wait. But I bought that game because I played like the demo. And I'm like, I like what I'm playing, and that game looks so pleasant. Like uh, it's Summer Mars just. There, there, there's nothing special about Summer and Mara and nothing about it that says, hey, you should play this over the many other games that exist that are similar. Just just replay Star to Value again. 
or play check out Ooblets. And then Tohu is a point-and-click adventure, a 2D point-and-click adventure game that I am really liking with some caveats. So with point-and-click adventure games, I feel like, and I'm sure people who are, are way more versed in the genre will disagree and be like, no, there are all these other reasons. But I feel like fans of point-and-click adventures play the games for one of three reasons. They, they might play them for all reasons or whatever, but I think there are three reasons that people may be drawn to point-and-click adventures. And I fall into one of them. Uh, and I'll leave that one for last. But I think some people play them because a lot of them tend to have pretty decent stories in terms of video game stories. You know, whether they're they're funny, I think especially like comedic games, they tend to go the point-and-click adventure route because, you know, it's just maybe like an easier way of delivering comedy. So I think story can be a big selling point for point-and-click adventure games. And then, of course, probably the number one is the puzzle aspect and figuring out what you need to do to advance the story or the level or what have you. And then the third, which is the camp I fall in, is those who come to them because of their art. And Sohu is a fucking gorgeous game. It is so, so pretty. And that is why I'm like, the story, whatever. Don't really care about it. But the game is so fucking pretty that I just want to continue playing it and seeing what the next area looks like because there's so much detail in it and so much going on. And it is so clean that despite being as detailed as it is and as intricate as each screen is, that you can see everything in it. You can find everything. You you can see everything clearly. And that that's important in a, in a point-and-click adventure game where you're trying to figure out what you need to do in order to keep going. It, it doesn't have the same aesthetic, but it's on par with like Machinarium, which is my favorite point-and-click adventure game in large part because I just think that game is fucking gorgeous. I love the aesthetic of that game. I love the art style so, so much. And the story of Machinarium, I can tell you what the hell that game was about. But the, the, the puzzles were pretty good too. But like just being in that world was an absolute treat because it was so fucking beautiful. And that is that is what Tohu has going for it. Like it's just great to look at. The one problem with Tohu is that I think some of the puzzles can be a bit confusing as to what you need to do. So the, the, the way Tohu works is that you are this little girl and you can transform between her and this robot being. And depending on who you're controlling at any given point, they are able to do different things. So the robot is super strong and can pick up basically any heavy object and then can place it somewhere else or, or, or use it in some way. And then the girl is more nimble and agile and can get to places the robot can't because the robot is this big, hulking, heavy thing. And you switch between them in order to complete puzzles and all that. The problem is, like I said, some of the puzzles can be a bit confusing and there is no hint system whatsoever, which just seems like, it seems like an oversight. I I don't know, because I don't play enough point-and-click adventure games to know what the percentages of them having hint systems versus not having hint systems, but I feel like they should all have hint systems and they could vary in how much they want to help the player, whether that be through settings, like if you choose to have it on easy mode or whatever, or if it's just something that is time-based. Like If it was just that, there's a little hint system that noticed, hey, you've been on the screen for five plus minutes and you haven't actually made any progress whatsoever. If you If you want some help, here's a little light bulb in the screen. Click it and we'll highlight whatever part of the world or, or whatnot you need to use or, or interact with in order to get going in the right direction. And the lack of that just seems like a, a misstep. But in spite of that, and, and for season point-and-click adventure fans, I'm sure they'll be like, oh, this is, it's all simple. It's all, I, I get everything. It won't be a problem. But even so, I think the visuals alone might be enough to get you to 
stick with it because it is just an absolutely gorgeous game. I fucking loved looking at it every second I was playing it. And yeah, so that, that that's worth checking out for all you point-and-click adventure fans and, and just fans of art. If you like pretty art, if you like good art, Tohu is something to check out. And then Mahjong Adventure DX is Mahjong. It is the, the single-player version of Mahjong where you're matching two tiles and it's uh, it's just just mahjong it's it just came out i think sans the dx on switch but i've been playing the xbox one version and it uh it works like i I don't know what to say about it because it's just mahjong you just have like the adventure mode there isn't like a, a random generated single player mode or whatever it's just here are a bunch of levels and you'll get rewards for completing them within a time limit that you can utilize in future levels, like the ability to shuffle the board. Like you, you get all these power-ups after completing the levels. You can't farm for power-ups, which is a little frustrating. I don't know if, because I, I replayed a level to see if you could, and I noticed you can't farm for the power-ups, but I don't remember if it also wouldn't allow me to farm for gold, because you can also use gold to purchase power-ups. Because it could lead to a point where, like, maybe you are pretty good, but you keep getting stuck and and needing to fall back on using the reshuffle or they're like, there's a power up that allows you to match any two pieces on the board, regardless of where they are in the the area and stuff that will highlight all the pieces you can interact with and, and just a lot of things that will make it an easier experience or help you if you're in a bind and stuff like that. But yeah, it's it's Mahjong. I like Mahjong. If you like Mahjong, it's worth checking out. Looks really nice. It's got, like as far as Mahjong goes, you have like two different skins for the pieces, but it is very, very clean and sharp. So yeah, if you, if you like Mahjong, check out Mahjong Adventure on whatever platform you prefer because it's a... It's a good version of Mahjong. And yeah, that is it, finally. I don't even want to open Audacity and look at how long this has been going on for. Because I feel like it's been over an hour. And in that case, I just want to shoot myself in the face. Because that just is going to be annoying for everyone. But that will do it for this here episode of the Pixelated Sausage Podcast. Once again, I am Marcus Jenez. Y'all can find me on Twitter and pretty much everywhere at PX Sausage. The site is, of course, pixelatedsausage.com, where you can find this podcast, Attack the Backlog, and Unamazingly Baka, all of which are available on podcast services across the globe. You can also check out the videos I make over at youtube.com slash pixelatedsausage, where you can see the video version of Attack the Backlog, which I think is the way to consume that show. Because the video is something I put a lot of work into, and I think it's a lot of fun. I think you should definitely check it out. Like the last episode, which is about Halo 2 and how my dad hated it, there are some funny bits in the video that you won't get in the audio because I don't talk about what is happening in the video. There are just these scenes where I'm like, this is where I just let my father sit at this turret because I wanted them to be able to kill some enemies for a change, and I just sat there doing nothing and that's why you're looking at this and like what kind of fucking gameplay is this you're just fucking standing there it's because i was trying to let my dad get in on the action and then there was a point where i was fighting a bunch of enemies and you just see this other master chief stuck at the terminal and i was like well this is where my dad accidentally hit one of the terminals and was taken out of the game and he didn't know how to get back into it and he was just kind of stuck there for a while so there are these fun things that are sprinkled in most if not all Attack the Backlog episodes that you miss out on if you don't watch the video version. So I highly recommend those. And you can also listen to Animation Limpaka on YouTube if that's your fancy. And of course, you know, like, subscribe, all that jazz. Hit that bell, baby. Bring, bring, bring. I don't know what kind of sound spells make, I guess. I, I don't know what I'm doing. But uh, yeah, youtube.com slash pixelatedsauces. And as I've said... I would like to, in the nearest future, start putting out other videos and, and more content as 
well. And of course, the art I make is on the site as well. And if you see something you like, you can purchase a print of the piece you fancy. And if you fancy the site in general and anything that we do, please go over to patreon.com slash pxs and support us that way. As always, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy this here episode and I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful day and an absolutely lovely week end. And let's see what the actual time is. An hour and seven and a half minutes. Fuck me. God, I'm, I'm the worst. I am sorry, everyone. So I will not take up any more of your time. And I will just say, bye.